All right. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Um, It is definitely an honor to get to be able to share this morning um, and preach, actually. Um, Hello. Where's me? Oh, there we go. All right. And thank you again so much, Carolyn, for sharing your heart. just about the cross and joy and gratitude and how Jesus really believes in us. And um, it's amazing how the Spirit works because that definitely ties into a lot of what I want to share today. Um, so let's turn into our Bibles to John chapter 8. Uh, that's where we're going to be camping out this morning. Um, my name is Kristen Balzer. For those of you that don't know, and along with my husband Mike, I have the privilege of serving on staff with this church. And along with an amazing leadership team of other volunteers, we get to focus on making and maturing disciples of Jesus. And for the last two and a half years, I've had a new role of raising and maturing uh, two little children. Um, so here's just pictures of them. Um, this is James. He's two and a half, and he's rambunctious. He is a two and a half year old. Um, and this is Sammy, and he is three months old. Um, he's sleeping in the back. If you hear little baby Pete, that's him. Um, thank you, Mackenzie, for helping take care of him. Um, And this year as a church, we've been focusing on the theme of love, studying out love in the Bible. And with my kids in my life, I've been learning more than ever about the depths of God's love for us as his children, and also how just incredibly inspiring and remarkable it is that Jesus was able to love so patiently, even when he was sleep-deprived and when people kept disobeying him over and over and over again. Um, so you don't need to turn there, but in John 1, verse 18, talking about Jesus, the Bible says that we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this morning I want to really dig into this idea of Jesus being full of grace and truth, because it's remarkable. And I want to do it through the lens of one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. We'll get to see how Jesus loves not only her, but the Pharisees present as well with this perfect balance of grace and truth. And through looking at their interaction, my hope is that we can be inspired by how intentional Jesus is in his love for us and pay it forward in our love for one another. So my sermon this morning, like I said, is titled, uh, Loving with Grace and Truth. Let's pick up in John chapter 8, verse 1. This podium is really high, so sorry. (laughs) not the tallest person. Um, so John 8, starting in verse 1, says that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. 
So in this situation, Jesus, he's gotten up at dawn, early riser, I admire that, to go teach in the temple courts. And if you can imagine, there'd be courtyards, um, you know, with uh, tiers, and there'd be stairs. And he was probably sitting, uh, it says he took seat to teach. This was really common for rabbis. He'd sit on the steps, and people would gather around to hear uh, what they had to say. And Jesus, he's been uh, teaching for a while. We're in John chapter 8. He's had eight chapters <laughs> of uh, his ministry have happened so far, and um, he's really causing a stir. He's bringing new teachings about the true heart of the Old Testament law. Um, he's performing miracles. Um, he's also been challenging the religious leaders um, on their religiousness, and um, that is why the Pharisees are trying to trap him. The Pharisees were kind of the elite um, religious rulers. They are considered experts in the law, and um, they were used to being very respected. They were the people that they would walk around and they'd be so spiritual and everybody would be like, oh, wow, they're amazing, they're so spiritual, I could never be that spiritual. And, um, you know, while this might have started as a good thing, we're going to be so spiritual and st- stick to God's law so well, it had really started to get to their heads. Um, they had this religious pride and they uh, really enjoyed, um, you know, people kind of praising them. And uh, Jesus, he uh, was starting to kind of call them out on that. And uh, they did not like it. So there's two reasons they didn't like Jesus. Um, He was willing to actually address their hearts. They were used to telling everybody else what to do, but he was actually addressing their hearts. Um, And also, he was walking around claiming to be the son of God. Which, if you imagine, if somebody just walked in, some random guy, and said, Hello, everybody, I am the son of God. Um, That'd be kind of upsetting, because we'd be like, Okay, blasphemer. You know, who are you? What are you who do you think you are? How, are you, how can you claim to be the son of God? You know, you're a human, clearly. Um, and so they didn't like that uh, he was claiming this. They didn't totally believe in him. They weren't sure what his deal was. And so they were trying to find a way to discredit him. Um, so they set up this lose-lose situation for him. Um, they want This is the trap. So they say, we've, we've found this woman. She's caught in the act of adultery. Jesus, what do we do with her? So what's the lose-lose? All right, if he agrees, says she should be stoned to death, okay, great, he upholds the Jewish law in the Old Testament. Um, however, he appears unmerciful. He contradicts um, some of his own teachings, potentially, on love and mercy. Um, and he would also be breaking the Roman law that had actually been uh, put in place and said that the Jews were no longer allowed to execute people. That's why when Jesus is arrested... Um, at the end of uh, the Gospels, they actually can't uh, execute him themselves. That's why they have to bring him to Pilate and put him on trial. Um, and they had to actually get the Romans to do um, any executing. Um, so they're like, great, okay, if he does this, does this, he's discredited, he's a lawbreaker, um, and he's going to lose popularity with the crowd because he's not merciful. On the other hand, if he d- disagrees with them and says, um, no, she should not be stoned to death, even though that's what the law says, she should not. Um, he violates the Jewish law and discredits himself in a different way, you know, because he's supposed to be somebody devout. He's supposed to be a rabbi who's an expert in the law and upholding it, you know, like the Pharisees. And also, the Son of God surely wouldn't contradict himself. He surely wouldn't say, you know, this is my law, but forget about it. The whole Bible is full of people being, of God, you know, trying over and over again to get people to take his word seriously. Um, because he loves us and because it's meant to protect us and help foster our relationship with him. So this is the lose-lose situation they set up for Jesus. So what's he going to do? What's the right answer? 
What I love about this passage is that Jesus doesn't get caught up in either side of this trap. He finds the right answer, and the right answer is love. Love can open up options that nothing else can, and godly love is full of grace and truth. Um, And I think this passage just shows this incredible balance that Jesus had, and I'm excited to dig into it this morning. So point number one, let's look at these in more depth. Uh, Loving with grace. Um, Loving with grace. So before I talk about this, let's talk about what is grace. Grace is a word that gets thrown around a lot. Um, It's often conflated with mercy or forgiveness. Um, It's kind of hard to define. Um, But grace is uh, simply favor. Um, The Greek word is kadis, the same same root word that we get charisma uh, from. But it's it's favor. It's God's favor. Um, And it means to prefer somebody, to treat them with partiality instead of neutral impartiality. Um, It's to have a benevolent disposition toward them. It's to bend or stoop in kindness to another. It's a really admirable and really special quality. But it's hard, uh, to this day, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around this idea of grace. So I have a really practical example, and I'm going to use a meme. I I threw in some extra tidbits for the the teens that are with us um, to illustrate this concept of grace. So imagine you are driving down the road, or imagine I'm driving down the road. I live on Dorset Street. There's a lot of traffic. There's a lot of lanes that are set for specific things. Um, I'm driving down the road, and somebody cuts me off. All all of us who have driven have had somebody cut us off. That is very frustrating. My first reaction is not a gracious reaction. My reaction is, oh, my goodness, I cannot believe how selfish that is, that person is, especially now if I have my kids in the car. Oh, I get so upset. You know, I just cannot believe that they would do that. What an inconsiderate driver. So a stranger cuts me off in traffic. I don't know them. There's no grace in the relationship. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. I want to bring the the hammer of judgment on them. (laughs) However, what if it's a red Toyota um, sedan? What if it's Maria Kenny? What if I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's Maria Kenny. I know her. There's grace in the relationship. If Maria cuts me off in the traffic because I have grace in the relationship toward her, my reaction would be very different. It might be, oh, I know her. I know the good in her. She must not have seen me. She wouldn't intentionally try to endanger me, frustrate me, endanger my children. She must not have seen me. And that's really the difference between not having grace in a relationship and having grace in a relationship. Um, When we mess up, God shows us grace um, by giving us the benefit of the doubt and fighting for the good he still sees in us instead of immediately reacting with the swift hammer of justice. Amen? So let's look at how Jesus shows gracious love in this passage. Um, So firstly, he shows grace toward the Pharisees. Um, You know, they're kind of a lot of times the bad guys in the the New Testament, but he actually uh, starts out by showing grace towards them. They, They come into the situation... Um, They've got this woman, Um, you know, they're technically right. She was caught in adultery. She deserves to be condemned um, because the wages of sin are his death. You know, all the things that the Bible teaches on sin. Um, So they're technically right, but their hearts are a mess. Their attitudes are very wrong. Um, And so how is Jesus gracious toward them? He uses an unassuming statement to let them check their own hearts instead of rebuking them. He says, let he who is without sin throw the first stone, which is an incredibly gracious way to correct their attitude. Despite their pride, their self-righteousness, their just total lack of love, 
They're seeing this woman as a pawn instead of a person. Jesus gave them another chance to change their thinking. And then we move on, and he shows grace to the woman as well. He sees her as a whole person, as somebody who's scared, who's ashamed, who's terrified, who's on the spot. And I think the first way he actually shows grace to her is a little more subtle. When she gets dragged in front of everybody, just imagine, you've got these old religious leader men who have somehow caught you in the act of adultery, dragged you in front of not only them, but the public, and this guy who's the most holy, reputable person who's ever lived, and you're on the spot. Everybody knows about your sin. It's on blast. And I think Jesus sees that in her, and he, by leaning over and bending down to draw in his hand, I think he really deflects the attention away from her. Instead of everybody staring at her, judging her, wondering about her, now everybody's looking down at Jesus, like, what's he going to do? What's he drawing in the sand? And he does that for a long time. I think it's subtle, but I think that he was helping protect her a little bit in that. And then the huge way that he shows grace to her in the moment is by not throwing stones himself. Remember he said, let he who is without sin throw the first stone? Jesus himself actually was without sin. Uh, He could have thrown the stone at her. He could have condemned her. Um, But he chose not to. He gave her another chance despite her obvious, you know, public, serious sin. So he loved the Pharisees with grace. He loved the woman with grace. Um, And this is amazing because I think he treats us the exact same way. Whether we're struggling with worldliness, like the woman, um, or religious self-righteousness, like the Pharisees, he's willing to believe in us, to favor us, right, to show grace toward us, despite our flaws and give us the opportunity to change. He sees past the ugly sin on the outside and through to the good on the inside, giving it a chance to grow and flourish. And to illustrate this, I want to show a clip that I think captures this this concept in a very cool way, and it is from the Pixar movie Moana. Um, If you haven't seen it, this is the climax of the movie. Um, So if you really don't want spoilers, you're welcome to (laughs) to leave for a minute. Um, But uh, where we're picking up in the movie, Moana has traveled across the ocean, put herself at great risk to restore this little green stone that you're going to see called the Heart of Tefiti, without which darkness and disease has been spreading from island to island. But there's this gigantic, fierce, terrifying, angry lava monster (laughs) guarding uh, where she needs to go. Uh, She and the other main character have been desperately trying to find a way to defeat this angry lava monster. Uh, Where we're picking up, Moana has finally snuck through to where the island the stone belongs should be. Um, While the lava monster is distracted, but the island's not there, and she realizes the symbol on the heart stone that you're going to see, it's a spiral, um, is actually can be found hidden on the chest of the monster. So Emily, if you want to dim the lights, uh, we're going to watch a quick uh, two-minute clip from Moana. Let him come to me. 
It's why we're watching Moana. This is an amazing illustration of how Jesus is with us. You know, because Moana was willing to stop fighting and choose love and connection, everything changed. The lose-lose that they were originally stuck in was either the monster dies or Moana and her friend die. Um, but through intentional love, a different solution arose. When we were caught in the destruction of our sin, when we were what the Bible literally says, God's enemies, um, just ensnared by anger and rage and just you know, covered over by the nasty crust of sin, Jesus still saw the good within us. Um, sometimes it was deep within us, but he saw it. In Romans 5, 6 through 9, it says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And while we were still powerless, God showed his own love for us in this. Um, by being willing to die for us. And this was at our worst, not at our best, at our worst. Jesus was able to look at us, look past all the sin, and decide she is still worth dying for. And when he came, instead of being dragged down into our worldliness, he shined his light, right? Um, He made himself vulnerable to bridge the divide between us and quieted the turmoil in our souls with his love. When he could have condemned us, and he had every right to, he instead sacrificed himself so that we could be transformed into a new creation. The hard crust of our sin was washed away and we are transformed, just like Tahiti, all because of his grace. This is so inspiring to me because I am not naturally a gracious person. I'm naturally actually a very angry person. Um, my first reaction to almost anything is anger. Um, they say it's an umbrella emotion. You know, it's kind of a first line of defense, and it's you know covering over lots of other deeper emotions. Um, but I'm naturally angry. Um, in my mind, when somebody hurts me or sins against me, um, I want to put them down and focus on how they're wrong, I'm right, and they deserve to be put in their place. Like the Pharisees, I feel like I'm so right, but I'm actually so, so wrong. I'm being prideful, defensive, self-seeking, bitter, angry, slanderous in my mind. And um, God bless him. The person that I can do this the most to is Mike, my husband. Um, Just the other day, I was having a hard time. I was sick. I was in pain. I was tired. Sammy was sick, too, and would only sleep if I was holding him. And James was on a mission to see if there are limits to a mother's love. (laughs) It was a rough day. Um, I texted Mike, who's out working, to let him know how miserable I I was, looking for moral support. I didn't hear back. Okay, fine. You know, he's with people. Um, He's focusing. He's working. Great. Amen. You know, gave him the benefit of the doubt at first. Um, but then a bit later, I texted him a quick logistical text about some supplies we needed for an event, and he responded right away. I got very upset. How could he care about this mundane supply question and not about the fact that I was in complete, total misery, right? That's lame. You know, he's supposed to love me, support me, I need help, I'm reaching out, I'm being vulnerable by reaching out for help, and what do I get? Logistics. Um, my anger and self-righteousness were off to the races. My mind raged. Um, I drafted, the deleted, then drafted, then sent a few passive-aggressive texts about uh, how I was feeling. And once we finally got to talk, I could actually barely speak. I was so angry. Um, thankfully, Mike is great about not escalating. I'm always trying to escalate. I'm ready for, for a because um, I want to, I just want to take it out. I'm like this lava monster. I'm just raging, you know, and I want to take it out on somebody. And he can be an easy punchy punch bag because he's so gracious. Um, and but so my sinful nature wants to escalate all day. But we were able to talk. He didn't escalate. 
he chose to be humble about it. We talked, realized there was a miscommunication. I was able to humble out, you know, and see his side of the story and restore the benefit of the doubt. You know, he's not intentionally trying to make me curious and not support me. It was a miscommunication. Amen. Being gracious is hard, though. When we get hurt, it is not our first reaction. It is very far from my first reaction. So how can we um, practically be gracious to those around us? How can we be like Jesus is in this situation to those around us? Um, so let's look at a few quick uh, practicals. Don't worry about that slide. That was more from my brain when I was thinking through things. Um, first practical for loving with grace is prayer. Um, if I, I start speaking right away, the first things that come out of my mouth are not godly. Because the first things that are in my heart are not godly. I have a sinful nature. And um, I need to slow down. You know, be quick to uh, listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, it says in James. And prayer is a huge way to help with that. Pray for your heart, pray for their heart. Um, perspective. Prayer helps with this, too. Um, remember your own need for grace. You know, Jesus has shown extended grace to each of us. None of us is making it to heaven without Jesus, and we need so much grace, um, both in our daily life and just total in the, the scope of eternity, and we want to pay that for it. Yeah. Um, partnership. Remember who the real enemy is. It's so easy to make the other person the enemy, right? Um, so set up and lose-lose, us versus them, you know? So it's like either I'm going to I'm gonna win, they're going to lose, they're going to um, win, I'm going to lose. Um, but really, the only person that wins in that situation is Satan because it causes division. Um, and so we want to just really fight to have uh, perspective that we're partners in this. You know, we're all in the fight against sin, against Satan. Um, and lastly, perseverance. It might take time. <clears throat> it might take time. Somebody might not react perfectly the first time. Um, I know for... You know, just in the concept of parenting, um, there's been many times my parents tried to help me out and disciple me that I did not react well. I'm sure hundreds of times, but thankfully they persevered with me um, and continued to uh, be gracious uh, with me as I learned and grow. And they continue to do that to this day. And I do want to say that with certain types of people, there may need, uh, be a need for healthy boundaries uh, for your protection. If you're dealing with a toxic or otherwise abnormal situation, definitely get more advice about this. But um, deep down, we want to be like Jesus um, and follow in his footsteps and remember that we have so much to be grateful for and how he, he treats us. Um, especially our, we want to do this with our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? You know, we're, we're in this spiritual battle together. We get taken out. We get deceived. We get distracted. We all need help. Um, and if you're dealing with a situation with someone who's not a Christian, you know, the good in them may be buried very deeply um, under layers of sin, scars, and walls, but through the power of Christ, they're still reachable. Um, so let's fight to love like Jesus, to love with grace. Um, the woman needed grace. The Pharisees needed grace. You need grace. I need grace. Everyone needs grace. And praise the Lord that he's willing to give it to us. Um, let's be like Jesus and love people with grace. Um, so... As I move into point two, I only have two points. This one's shorter. Um, but being gracious doesn't mean we become pushovers and let everything slide while we suffer silently, which brings me to point number two, which is loving with truth. You know, Jesus was full of grace, but he was also full of truth. And this is critical because people need both. We all need both. Um, so let's look at the people in this passage. Uh, how does Jesus show love with truth? By not withholding what they need to hear to grow spiritually. He doesn't leave their heart unaddressed. So the Pharisees, what do they need to hear? They needed help with their attitudes. 
They were being self-righteous, not truly caring about upholding God's law. Like, where was the man? The law in Leviticus says you're supposed to have the man and the woman in a situation like this. They didn't even bring them in. Um, They weren't caring about the woman's needs, and they were trying to trap Jesus. Their motives, their attitudes were all over the place. But instead of taking it really personally and venting uh, their frustration, um, Jesus chose to speak to them in a way that focused on their spiritual health. He says, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Instead of lighting them up, he talks to them in a non-charged, unselfish way. He helped them restore a humble perspective. And I think a great practical for us, a good filter we can use, if you're feeling a lot in a situation, you know, definitely pray so it can be a, a little less raw when you talk to them. But try and filter it through the question of what can I say and how can I say it so it will help this person to grow spiritually, not... What can I say that will make me feel better and put them in their place? Which is often my default. Thankfully, Jesus has grace towards us. You know, he's focusing on helping us grow spiritually, even when he's truthful. Um, And we're not immune to getting prideful and self-righteous like the Pharisees. You know, the Bible says pride is like a necklace. You can't see it yourself very well. Um, And we need each other to help um, keep pride and self-righteousness in this these religious sins at bay. You know, we need each other to help um, us with our blind spots. So the Pharisees needed help with their hearts and the attitudes. The woman needed to hear a different truth, right? She needed to hear, go now, now, <laughs> and leave your life of sin. You know, we've already seen how he was so gracious um, and that he chose not to condemn her. But because of his love, he wasn't willing to just leave it at that. Uh, and let her walk away. He knew that if she didn't grow from this experience, she'd suffer spiritually, probably eternally, for it. So he called her to leave her sin behind, and he does the same thing for us. You know, we are all this woman. We have been, or still are, um, and, and can become her again. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and Jesus has stepped in and spared us from condemnation. Imagine if we could see and feel what Jesus has spared us from the way this woman got to see and feel it. She lived the shame and terror of being moments from condemnation and the shocking awe of being spared in those last moments by Christ. He was her only hope, her only way out. And he's our only hope, too. He's our only way out. Um, But it can be really easy to lose touch with that reality. What effect do you think this had on her? I hope that the whole situation, him sparing her, Um, from the brink of condemnation was a wake-up call, that the relief and gratitude motivated her to live her life for him. But we don't actually know what happened. It's not recorded. The story ends where I finished reading. And to this day, people do walk away from the abundant grace of God, unchanged. Or maybe they changed for a time, but then they lost their motivation and slipped back into the way they used to be. How is that possible? I think it's because we lose perspective. It's possible because we forget how incredible the grace of God is. We forget what a just immeasurable distance it is between what we deserve and what we have coming for us and what we get to have because of his love and his grace. Satan's footholds grow into strongholds. The fire in our hearts becomes a sad heap of ashes. This is the entropy of our human nature, and we need people in our lives who are going to speak the truth to us about sin and righteousness to avoid this fate. We need them to speak with love and with grace, but we need them to speak the truth nonetheless. So how does Jesus do this with us? 
He's given all of us the opportunity for a second chance, um, for a chance to follow in his footsteps, to follow his word. This is amazing that we get to have this, the inspired word of God. He's given us exactly what we need for life and godliness, it says in 1 Peter chapter 1. He's spoken the truth to us through his word, and in it he calls our sin what it is and asks us to repent from it and turn to God instead. Not just once at our conversion, but to live a lifestyle continuing to when we fall down in our sin to get back up and return to him um, and continue to try another day. In John 12, 47 through 48, Jesus says, I did not come to condemn the world or to judge the world, but to save it. That is great news. That is the good news, that Jesus gives us a way out. He didn't come to uh, condemn and to judge, but to save it. But the next sentence he says is, but there is a judge for those who hear my word and do not accept it. The very word which I spoke will condemn him on the last day. He's given us what we need. He's given us the words. He's given us the answer to spare us from so much and to show us the way to get to spend not only life on earth with him, but eternity with him in heaven. But he doesn't force us to accept it. That's loving too. He doesn't force us. He offers it. He asks us. He often pleads. He appeals to us. Um, but our fate is in our hands, and we're also our sister's keepers. Our souls are on the line, and Satan is on a constant campaign to hide this life-giving truth from us or to steal it or dilute it once we find it. Jesus actually says uh, later or earlier in John that lies are Satan's native language. He is an enemy of the truth. He doesn't want us to know the truth or to share it with others. Some of the lies he loves to spread are that God's love has limits and you've messed up too badly for redemption. Or um, on the other end of the spectrum, that it's okay for you to just live in your uh, sin and not try to change. He's constantly feeding us lies. So we need each other to help each other, to defend each other against him and his work. And God wants to use us to bring truth to the world, to bring the truth to one another. In 2 Corinthians 5, he calls us to be his ambassadors, and he says it's as if God was making his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. That's what it says, word for word. God's making his appeal through us. God wants to actively use us to work through you to help the people around you to make it to heaven, to grow and to mature. And in 2 Timothy 4, 2, he says to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We all need that. He wouldn't ask us to do that for one another if we didn't need it. Um, And I love that, again, that it's always balanced with great patience and careful instruction. But this is hard, right? It is scary to give any sort of feedback or correction to someone. Um, Fear can make it hard to love people by sharing the truth with them. Um, There have been so many times that I've felt like I've seen something or need to say something that I've held back and not done it because I was scared. Sometimes it's insecurity that, while maybe we have a valid point, um, that we don't have the right words or we're imperfect in our own example. Um, We feel, who am I to bring something up to this person? Sometimes we're scared of their reaction. We don't know how they're going to react. Um, you know, maybe you had an experience where you tried to talk to, speak truth to somebody, um, and they didn't react well. Um, and you're scared uh, for of hurting them or hurting the relationship or them coming back at you. Um, <clears throat> there's so many different ways fear can can stop us. So I want to just uh, 
break it up for just a second and show um, a silly little clip from my favorite show of all time. It's Parks and Recreation with a character who is struggling with this. She needs to give some honest feedback to a coworker and she's having a hard time. Let's check out what she does. online and anonymously gives her feed negative feedback, <laughs> which just makes everything worse. And at the end of the episode, um, they, she comes clean, she's able to talk to Donna, Donna handles it well, and they agree to just talk to each other straightforwardly in the future, amen? Um, but like I said, there have been times I've not spoken up because of being scared. Um, and oftentimes when I don't, then that's, that, that hurt is still there and it becomes passive aggressive like that. Um, and in many ways, I can be more comfortable keeping the peace um, at the expense of the opportunity for that person to grow or for our relationship to deepen. Um, but in writing this lesson, I took some time to look back on conversations people have had that challenged me. And I was able to think of so many times uh, somebody said what I needed to hear uh, that changed my spiritual trajectory. Just a few short examples. Um, one was uh, one of the biggest ones. I was 18. Um, I had just been through a hard year uh, as a disciple. I had been a disciple for a couple of years, but I, I wasn't living as one anymore. I had a total double life. I was getting into a lot um, of uh, partying and uh, just impurity and alcohol and drugs and t- just different stuff. But I was still going to church and doing all the, the like right things on the, the outward uh, thing. So I uh, that summer went on a missions trip. I was trying to get my act together. And I uh, finally shared uh, with one of the girls on that trip, Alana, um, about what I'd been going through. And um, she lovingly, I'd only known her for a week probably. It was a two-week trip or one weekend. But she had the courage, even though we didn't have that much of a history, um, to lovingly point out that while I had been doing all these different things on my own power to like muscle my way through repenting and being a better person and like I'd gotten some help from people and all this different stuff. She said, you know what, Kristen, you've done all that stuff um, and that's a good start, but you've never gone back to God to help you. You've never gone back to his word, to prayer. You've been trying to do it all on your own strength. That is exactly what I needed to hear and it changed my life forever. She was so right. Um, I, that day, pulled out my Bible and wrote out in my journal every scripture I could find on worldliness and drunkenness and the different things that I got into. And it was like my heart was changed. It was transformed. Because God's word, you know, these spiritual tools have way more power than um, than anything we could do. Um, another time I was, uh, I feel like these keep happening abroad, I was in a campus ministry internship in Australia. Again, I was only there for a month, but uh, one of the sisters in the church there noticed that when I responded to a question in Bible talk, there was an edge there. 
and she sensed that there was some bitterness in how I responded. And she cared enough to ask about it. And she had me over, and we ended up having a four- or five-hour conversation where she just lovingly drew my heart out and helped me see that while I had been working on growing and stuff, there was a big part of my life that I still hadn't been open about. I had moved past the sin, but I wasn't, in my pride, I wasn't being honest about it. I was still being deceitful and not really sharing it with any of the people who were in my actual day-to-day life who could help me and love me through it and help help me change. Um, And I'm so grateful that these women were were more more worried about my salvation than worried about my reaction. And again, it was full of grace and it was love, but they cared to ask. Even though I wasn't even a member of like their churches or their ministries and um, like Jessica, I've never seen, I haven't seen since in like eight years, you know, I've never seen her again. But she cared to to speak the, the truth to me, to draw me out, to love me with grace and truth. Alana, uh, she was in my wedding. Um, it, that was the start of a beautiful friendship. Um, but uh, even just recently, you know, we were at a campfire the other week, and Katie Robbins, um, we had a, like an interaction. I wasn't thinking. I said something uh, offhandedly, and she that night uh, brought it up to me and was like, "Hey, that hurt my feelings when you said that." Um, and in my mind, you know, my, my reaction is to want to, like, get defensive. But as soon as she said, hey, you know, like, I want to talk to you about something. Like, I'm working on changing the script. But I'm like, okay, humble time, humility time. This is an opportunity to grow. I'm so glad that she's taking the chance to share this with me. And um, she didn't let it grow. She didn't let it become bitterness um, or division in the relationship. We were able to clear it up just that night. And I'm so grateful for that, Katie, that you did that. Um, and these types of conversations are so helpful um, but as I thought through them, um, I actually couldn't think of that many that have happened since I've lived in Vermont. And I was thinking about why that might be. And I think that some of it could be my role, you know, like I'm kind of in the ministry. I'm supposed to kind of have it together. And uh, my personality can be kind of like intense and um, come across as unapproachable. And I'm working on that. But I wanted to make sure that all of you guys know um, that if you see something in me, I want you to bring it up. If I hurt you, or if it's a character thing, even if it's like a little thing you want to ask about, or if it's a long-term thing, definitely, you know, if you see a trend, please bring it up to me. I want to open the door. Uh, just make sure you guys all know you have an open invitation to talk to me about that. Um, if I hurt you, I want the chance to understand and apologize. But I need you guys' help. I need you guys to, to help disciple me into a better follower of Jesus, a better sister, mother, wife, friend. I need that. So to close out, just a few practicals for loving with truth. Um, Again, perspective, right? Um, Remember that there's a spiritual battle. So with being gracious with people, we need to remember that there's good in them, right? With being truthful with people, we need to remember that they have a sinful nature and there are spiritual forces of evil trying to take them out. So we don't want to just be casual, you know, and not, like, help defend each other and engage with each other. Um, Because Satan and his minions hate spiritual truth and are trying to take it from you and from those around you. Um, Remember that we need the truth. You know, without truth, um, none of us could have this chance for a new life in Jesus. And um, we aren't going to be able to grow ourselves. Um, Pray for pure motives, right? To want to help them to grow, to have a motive of love, not a desire for revenge. Preparation, you know, pray for your heart. Use the word of God 
when possible. It is so much more powerful than our opinions. And um, the word is our standard, you know, not, um, you know, like our own behavior, and that can help make things a lot easier. Um, and also remember that um, in terms of needing the truth, the truth isn't always negative. It's not always a correction, right? Um, sometimes what we need to hear, sometimes the truth we need to hear is you are doing a great job. You are working so hard, and you are doing a great job. Sometimes the truth that we need to hear is, this stinks, <laughs> and heaven is worth it. Sometimes the truth we need to hear is, I'm here with you. Like, please lean on my shoulder. Please let me hold up your hands. It's not always negative. Um, and lastly, just as a little bonus, try to be easy to approach yourself um, and invite regular feedback. Um, I think when I'm most likely to be defensive is when I haven't had feedback in a long time and I've got these kind of walls built up where I'm kind of in my hiding behind insecurity and pride in these things. Um, and then I'm most likely to react defensively. But if we can all try to be humble and invite feedback, um, we're going to have transformation in our relationships with God and our relationships with one another. Um, and ask for, yeah, just ask for help. There's so many awesome sisters in this church. Every one of you loves God and wants to help each other make it to heaven, right? Like, I'm not, I, nobody in this room would say, no, I do not want to help you make it to heaven. <laughs> That'd be awful. Um, you know, we're here for each other, so let's ask for help. So in conclusion, remember that lose-lose situation that the Pharisees tried to set up for Jesus? You know, you got to, have all grace and no truth, um, or all truth and no grace. They want Satan was, and the Pharisees are trying to get set up a lose-lose. Um, Satan wants to try and catch us in this exact same thing, in the lose-lose. He says there's only two options. Option one is say what you feel, and then they'll hear the truth. But it can come across as critical, could hurt their feelings, hurt the relationship. Option two, he says, or you can choose this one. Keep it to yourself and keep the peace. But then you feel unresolved. They don't get the chance to change and bitterness grows. Um, it's a lose-lose. Um, but there's another way, a better way. It's not either or. It's both and. It's not grace or truth. It's grace and truth. Jesus is full of both. Um, and we can strive to be like him in that. To love people with grace and truth. With truth and grace. And we'll be able to spread the glory of God and freedom from sin everywhere we go if we do that. So I hope you're inspired by Jesus' example as I am. I'm excited to work on being more gracious and truthful, being full of both, and I hope you are too.